Hey friends, we're always so glad to have you join us. My name is Leslie Dirksen, and I'm here with Lauren, my co-host. I have the privilege of introducing everyone to our guest speaker today. Cynthia Barkman has served for the past 20 plus years in mission aviation with Ethnos Canada. We hope to gain a clear picture of how mission aviators help advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Welcome back to the Compel Podcast, where we share how ordinary women spread the gospel story. So Cynthia, it's so exciting to have you join Lauren and I today on Compel. And let's just dive right into our conversation and get to know your family a little bit more. So first of all, let me say I'm super privileged to be here. I'm just excited about this podcast and about encouraging us as women that no matter how ordinary we are, God can use us. And his goal is to spread the gospel and build his church. And we get to be a part of it. So um, my husband and I have been married for 27, almost 28 years. We have two sons. Our oldest is 24, and he plays um, competitive international badminton. And our second son is 20, and he is in school to study youth and family ministry. And he loves street kids and sharing Jesus. So that's our family. That's so awesome. And so um, how did you become involved in missions? So my parents were actually missionaries, and I had my first ride on a missionary aviation airplane when I was six weeks old. My parents moved into a location that was two and a half hours from the closest town, and they um, had purchased supplies for 12 weeks. They packed up the airplane with us and six weeks of supplies and moved into this location. So I grew up in aviation and using a missionary aviation airplane to go back and forth to school when I got older, but just for everything, that was our form of transportation. And then I met my husband. I figured that missionary pilots were all heroes. I married him. He is, I'm happy. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we got involved. Yeah, it was just a very normal, ordinary thing. And I saw that our family was very dependent on the airplane. So when I married into Mission Aviation, because my husband was already a pilot, it was super easy to see that this was really necessary and that the sacrifices we made to be able to fly and to provide that service were really worthwhile. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how many years have you guys served in Mission Aviation? So my husband was already a pilot mechanic when we got married. And we took five months and came to Canada and met each other's families. And then we started right away. We took a year off to do training in between there, but otherwise, yeah, I guess it's almost 27 years, basically all our married life, except that one year we were in training. Mm -hmm. And that's taken you all over the world. It has. It's been quite the ride. When I married my husband, I figured that we would be in for the rest of our lives. That's where I grew up. That's where we got married. But from there, we went to Panama for a year. We were in Paraguay. We went to Arizona and served on the leadership team and training there. And then we were in the Philippines for eight years. And we currently serve at Moody Aviation. Right. So that kind of transition into our next topic is how, how does mission aviation work with spreading the gospel? Like how do you, how do those two go hand in hand? So the goal of mission aviation is to speed the gospel, to allow people to get to places that are inaccessible. Sometimes they're inaccessible geographically, sometimes politically. There are different reasons that it can be hard to travel 
in countries around the world. And the goal of Mission Aviation is to help missionaries get where they need to go to reach the people that they need to reach. And really, we function like a shared family car with a chauffeur. So whatever you need, we would want to bring to you. If you have a medical emergency, we would come get you. If you need to come out for paperwork, we would be your transportation. So whatever our missionaries need that live in remote locations, that's what we provide. And Mission Aviation has different things that they do now, like between disaster relief and there are some different avenues, but within Ethnos Aviation, that is our primary thing is transportation for people groups, medical emergencies, and the missionaries. It's a very physical job. You know, it's really way more like being a truck driver than being a pilot in the sense that the pilots have to do their own loading. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of physical hard work. Heavy lifting and stuff. I saw one missionary pilot trying to like put a queen-size mattress into a twin engine. (laughs) Somehow he got it in there. Yeah, if you want to be a missionary pilot, you pretty much have to be a magician with fitting things into airplanes. We've hauled everything. Yeah, kitchen sinks. Sinks, yeah. (laughs) Mattresses, barrels of stuff. Mm -hmm. Tin all rolled up, wood, whatever people need to build or to live or to supply their generators or their generators or their batteries their solar systems like whatever it is if you need it in a remote location and you're served only by an airplane we'll do our best to get it to you and these are hard areas to get into yeah most of where ethnos 360 aviation serves is actually pretty remote places where i grew up was two and a half hours like i said by airplane It was about three to four weeks by river was the other option. Some places we served are like a 20-minute flight or a five-day hike. So it really is a huge deal to be able to hop over the jungle rather than walking through it. Yeah, that's what kind of I was going to ask too, because missions aviation is kind of new to this past century. Before that, how did it change the way missionaries go into these places, right? Because they didn't have mission aviation in the 1800s. Exactly. And in the 1800s, um, missionaries didn't go so much to remote areas, but mission aviation started very close to when aviation started. So it's really interesting. Like mission aviation has allowed people to live in places that they may not have survived before. When I was um, three, I actually fell out of the ceiling onto a cement floor would have been terrifying for my parents. Oh, I have Cynthia. oh <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be terrible if oh, you were the mother? No. Yeah. But I was a child and I just remember pain and a few other things. But the pilot came with the airplane and picked us up and we went to town and I could get medical attention. I can't even tell you how many people we have evacuated, missionaries and um, ethnic people from different places. So I think before mission aviation, a lot of those people probably would have died in those locations. And sometimes people live in those places and it really takes them two or three weeks to go in and out. And then they need to live really very much like the people, which is also very physically demanding. If you have no refrigeration and you're cooking over an open fire and you're washing your clothes at the stream, that really reduces the amount of time that you have for language learning and building relationships and teaching the Bible. So that's another huge aspect of providing that transportation link. Yeah, you mentioned that 
and one of the goals is to save missionaries resources of focus on planting thriving churches and if you're not cooking over a fire and like walking to the river that saves time it saves tremendous amounts of time and it saves energy like when we talk about so you saved a, a two-week hike through the jungle you also saved several days of recuperation and that wear and tear on your body and what you can take with you, yeah, it's been a great tool. Missionary Aviation has been a great tool to use in reaching remote tribal groups and seeing thriving churches planted. So what is the process in becoming a pilot? So there are a few ways you can become a pilot. In order to be a missionary pilot, you actually need a very high level of skill and training. I think missionary pilots are some of the most gifted pilots in the world because we work in really challenging places where we don't have a lot of support. So first you have to get your ratings, like your private pilot, your commercial pilot, your instrument rating. You have to have so many hours of flight. Most mission aviation organizations, including Ethnos, require people generally to have maintenance licenses, also your AMP license. So um, we currently work at Moody and we provide a five-year degree. So it's five years of intense schooling. You get Bible, you get maintenance, you get flight. You can also do it through a local FBO or there are some other ways that you can earn those ratings, but all of them are intense and a lot of work and require a lot of commitment and a certain amount of innate talent and love for flying. Mm -hmm. And I have heard that you don't have to just learn how to fly the plane, you have to learn how to maintain. So you would learn mechanics as well? Yes. Generally, most, a high percentage of missionary aviation pilots are pilots and mechanics because they often work in teams of one or two. And if you're in a remote place and your plane breaks down, you want to have an idea how to fix it because there may not be another local airplane to get somebody else in to fix it and you want to keep flying it. And airplanes require a different kind of maintenance than your car. Like, I mean, we change our oil, but if we don't, you know, if you have to pull off the road, it isn't very serious. If you fall out of the sky because you didn't do your maintenance, uh, yeah, that's a little more serious. Yeah, for sure. So as a pilot's wife, what training did you take? So I took missions training. I think it's really important as a missionary pilot's wife to really understand what you're doing there to understand that we're spreading the gospel and we're planting churches. And even though you personally maybe are not doing a Bible study with somebody or learning a language, to understand what your coworkers that you're serving are going through is huge. So we did a year of missions training, and then um, Gary had actually already been through the technical training when we got married. But because we were married, we needed to go back to Arizona so I could get like a nine-week course for wives, and we really just talked about what it means to support your husband in a really demanding job overseas that is unforgiving. Some people mm. say aviation's risky. It's not exactly risky, but it's very unforgiving. You have to do it right the first time. And as a wife who is supporting her husband in that kind of role, you want to be thoughtful of how your actions can impact him and the kind of things he needs. You don't want a hangry pilot on the way home. You yeah. want him to have lunch, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there are so many other things from knowing how to manage life in another country and 
thinking about raising your kids and how you're going to divide that between the two of you with him gone a lot. How do you feel about being alone overnight? And then there's the missionaries that you want to actually support, not just, oh yeah, my husband can go fly you, but I'm uninvolved, but rather to really be in it with them and to have people over for meals or to send stuff in or to watch their kids so they can go out on a date night. And I think all of us have different gifts. And as women, we bring so much to the table and our uniqueness is really what God wants to use to bless our team and to be a part of our team. And I think as a pilot's wife, it's a unique opportunity because for many people, your husband might be the only person they see for a couple months. Mm -hmm. So you want him to be in a good state and then you want to see those people and you want to understand what's going on on the other end and really be supportive and engaged in that process of seeing thriving churches planted. And I can imagine after a while, you really have a bond with all the ladies that are in these remote locations. Do do you have a specific story of maybe how you've built a friendship with someone through aviation? Yeah. Wow. I think I have a lot of stories over (laughs) the past years. Let me think. So when we were in the Philippines, um, we supported a team and on that team was a single woman who she's just super engaged with the people and always, she was just awesome. But whenever she came to town, she always came to our house and I just loved her. Mm. But we talked on the radio quite often. I always sent her a note. We decided to memorize a book of Colossians together. I don't think we quite finished the book of Colossians, although she might have. I did not finish that. But just doing things together and encouraging each other in the Lord. And then she would often come out with patience. They were a very interesting team because in their process of language learning, they knew that no one in this location knew the Lord. So their goal was to keep all of them alive until they could teach. So we did more medical emergency flights for them than anybody. I remember one day being in that tribe, and there were probably seven people standing there waving at the airplane. Everybody else had left, and there were seven tribal people there. And she said, yeah, they're all standing there because their lives have all been saved through medical emergency flights. And they just wanted thank you? or Yeah, yeah. they just wanted wow. to, like, they just had this bond with the airplane And I don't know, maybe because they did so many of those, Elise and I just had a really strong bond. And when she'd come to town and she would be in the hospital with her patients, like, because you have to take them food and everything. Usually many places we've been, the hospital doesn't provide food. They don't do things like empty bedpans. So someone has to be there and do it. She'd pop by our house for lunch or for supper. She'd come over and we'd pray together. And it was super cool. Mm-hmm. to just be a part of that, even though I didn't get to live in that location, through her to just really feel connected to what was going on in her life. Yeah, as a missionary in town, I feel like some of the most hospitable, encouraging people that I've interacted with overseas were pilots' wives. And they have some of them have come alongside our family through some of the hardest moments of our lives and just spoken truth and just encouraged us. And so, wow, even just, I haven't been in Terry, but I've been so blessed by pilots' wives. and just so, such a great ministry to really value So as your husband leaves and takes off to go to a remote village, can you share some some of those feelings, some of those fears? You know, I think um, for a lot of people that aren't used to an airplane, it's really scary to have your husband in the air all the time. And when you haven't seen it, 
it it's more overwhelming. Yeah. I always encouraged new pilot families, like take your wives to a remote location, get them on the airplane, go for a flight because it helps when you've seen it. I think what we experience normalizes and statistically I think it's quite a bit more dangerous to drive your car than to fly in an airplane, but it still seems scarier with an airplane. I think um I remember some places we've been, there have been a lot of security issues. And I remember my husband coming home and telling me, if my plane gets hijacked, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember thinking, oh, like, why I, are you telling me this? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know. Yeah. Like, I don't want to think through this. And yet it was, it was necessary in that location. Yeah. It was important to, to have like that contingency plan. Yeah, and then for me personally, just to take it to God and say, right, you know, I don't really like this idea, but I choose faith. And to keep Mm -hmm. walking, I think fear and faith are always polar opposites, and fear reminds us to have faith. I think that fear is a normal response to things we don't understand and we can't control. But I don't know, we choose what we're going to do with that. So now, I mean, you've been overseas as a pilot's wife for over 20 years and you're back in the States, like how have you been able to minister to pilot's wives and training or future pilot's wife? I don't know what you call them, mm-hmm. but yeah, is that right? Yep. Yeah. That seems like a good term for them. Okay. Maybe they're pilot's <laughs> wives now once their guys get their private license. But mm-hmm. yeah, so we currently work at a school, Moody Aviation. Um, Moody Aviation has trained over half of the missionary pilots worldwide. And as women in the program, like staff wives, we have a huge opportunity to just um, speak into younger women's lives and talk about what it's like in mission aviation. And I think it really comes down to what are the choices you're making now? You're going to keep making similar choices as you head overseas. So if you are being proactive about following Jesus and about choosing faith and about raising your children and about loving your husband, you're going to keep doing that. And we can give you good tools and good information to do that. But if you aren't doing that here, you are not going to get overseas and turn into somebody you weren't because you're suddenly in a location that demands it. And I think that is what mentorship and training is all about, is helping us all to remember that the choices we're making right now, we're at some level creating our future. We're building into ourselves or we're tearing ourselves down and our potential for ministry. So true. It reminds me of that phrase where you say, like, if you're never moving forward, you're moving backwards. Like, you're not static. So if you're not faithfully being proactive in your walk, then there's not like there's a middle ground. You're either climbing up the mountain or you're sliding down it. So, yeah, I, I think that's really just helpful to mentor ladies and let them know that, yeah, just keep walking with the Lord and just striving, yeah, to be faithful followers of God. Otherwise, yeah, you're not doing anything <laughs> And so you're working with Moody Aviation, seconded from Ethnos Yes, that's right. We're seconded. Actually, Moody Aviation has a number of people who are on loan from mission aviation organizations and mission organizations because they found that that's the best way to help students get into missions. They have really good access to people who've done different things in mission aviation, and it also keeps their costs down. Because one of the hardest things about mission aviation training is the cost. And I think it's really neat that you have, you know, these trainers training these young people to go out. They, 
they have the experience. They can tell them, okay, this is what happened to me when I was, you know, going into a bush location and you should look for this. And it's like very practical, like they've experienced it. So Gary can really like help them understand what they're getting into. Exactly. And I think that's a huge part of the value is passing on stories. I think we are changed by the stories we hear and the way we tell our story also makes an impact on us ourselves. But I think just that opportunity to talk about realities overseas and realities of life and raising kids and being a wife and all those things. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to grow and to invest because that's really what it is. It's investing in the next generation because the next generation has huge potential to change a world for God. Like it's it's going to be theirs and what mm-hmm. they do is what is going to happen next. And I think as a little bit older people to be able to pour into that and to put our lives into it is just a huge privilege. So your involvement is doing um, office work or are you more hands-on? What What do you do? So I do a few different things. I work in the office part-time doing administration for the safety department. I also help with some event planning. We have a safety seminar every year and I help plan that. And mostly I, I'm afraid my gift might be drinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I I drink that. Yeah. (laughs) Instant friends. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's a great way to connect. And so, yeah, I do a lot of coffeeing with ladies and just talking about life. We have a lot of people over to eat, you know, Mm. come eat a taco and let's chat about mission aviation. That's Mm -hmm. great. And I'm sure you're amazing blessing to these young people as they're considering going out and just sharing your life story. I think it goes both ways. Like it's a huge privilege yeah. to work with that generation and, and to see the energy and the things they want to do and to hear their dreams. And yeah, that's very cool. So after they're done with their five year and get their degree, do they then go down to Arizona for further training with Ethnos 360? How does that work? Yeah, so after you get your degree from Moody Aviation, it's like you're ready to go do further training with a mission aviation organization. Ethnos 360 has an evaluation where husband and wife go down there for a week and spend some time with a leadership team with different people. And also the guys fly, they do some maintenance, they do some testing to make sure that you're really ready to serve as a missionary aviation pilot. And then if you pass that technical evaluation, then you would go through the um, like the support track of Ethnos's training. And then you would go down to Arizona and that's usually six to nine months you're there. And then you would go ahead to the field and learn a national language and then do your testing to uh, get your pilot license in that country. And then you'd be ready to fly. So getting wow, there is a lot a- of school. It's a lot of school. It's a huge investment to get there. I actually forgot about that part about pilots having to learn the national language. That's super important. It's really important. We um, lived in the Philippines for a while without a lot of national language. I mean, English is one of their national languages, but it wasn't really their heart language. And it's hard to engage in a country if you can't talk. And I think it's easy to feel like when you start learning a national language, like, ugh, this is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And it's hard. And you've already been in training for a really long time. But I think long term, in terms of building relationships, 
and understanding what the people around you and your team is going through is just huge. It's mm-hmm. just really big. Yeah. Well, even for the pilot's wife to know the language and she's in her town, like she's not isolated. Like she can go out in community and go shopping and feel like just involved if she knew the national language. Exactly. And I think for me, some of the most rewarding things I've done besides minister to the missionaries that we were serving has been getting to know my neighbors and building relationships and seeing our kids grow up together. Um, In the Philippines, we played badminton in the community. So we went to a court and we had our group of friends there and we were able to share the gospel and talk about what God was doing. And just to be involved in your community locally is, is really important no matter where you are. And whether your main job is ministry or not, you need you need that community. Mm-hmm. So we talk about a lot how you know pilot, missionary pilots support you know planting thriving churches, but how can people and sitting churches and individuals support pilots and their wives and their families and their ministries? Like how can we care for you guys? So I think caring for any missionary starts with being informed, and when you're informed, you can pray better. And then just remembering, I think, that people are people. And if you look at a missionary's picture and you think, oh, I wouldn't really want to do that or I wouldn't want to be there, you know, maybe just pray for them because they may not want to be there either. They didn't turn into somebody else when they went overseas. And communication is super key. Um, A lot of pilots' wives have local schools they can send their kids to. A lot of them homeschool. So depending on how they're schooling, support them in that. Support missionary pilot families in raising their children well. Recommend good books. Um, Send them an encouraging note. Send a care package every once in a while. Call them up on the phone. Post on their Facebook page. Like Just engage with them as a person and just... Do what you can to encourage them to love and follow Jesus and that what they're doing is worthwhile because for each one of us, what God calls us to do is worthwhile and that's no different if you're here than if you're there. So either side of that equation, if you're reaching out to a missionary or a missionary pilot family in particular, that is service to God and it's worthwhile and it matters. Mm -hmm. One of the other ways you can really help Mission Aviation is to give towards some of the things that are happening in Ethnos 360 Aviation. There um, are helicopter projects going on, and one that I'm super excited about is a subsidy program where that allows people to make use of the airplane that couldn't otherwise afford to because airplanes are not cheap to fly. I don't know if you've gone anywhere lately on a small airplane, but it's quite expensive and Mm -hmm. So to help missionaries, national missionaries, tribal missionaries to actually be able to use the airplane, Ethnos 360 Aviation has a subsidy program that you can donate to and like be a part of somebody being able to fly for 20 minutes instead of walk for five days. How cool is that? Our national co-workers where we were, like they're from a people group that Ethnos worked in. And I mean, we went in that village through helicopter and a Kodiak plane, but for them, like they can't afford it. So they would take their small children on a canoe on a crazy river, like through the mountains to the ocean and get on a ferry and then get into a major city. But like like a two-year-old and a baby, like that's just crazy. So that's super crazy. And that's exactly what we really don't want to see happening. We really want to see that 
helicopter and that Kodiak being able to be used Mm -hmm. for every person that is involved in planting thriving churches, for them to be able to use it for transportation regardless of the resources they have personally. And that's where we can help. So what would you say to your younger missionary self if you had a chance? So I think if I were talking to myself a long time ago, I would just tell myself that it's worth it. I think in the moment, different things happened that were really hard. Our oldest son had dengue fever and he was really, really sick. And we were trying to help things happen. My husband went through a time that he was really ill. Um, Homeschooling overseas was not always like a walk in the park. I had a a lady who helped me in my house who got arrested from my house one day on trumped up charges, but it didn't matter what the charges were. Like, that wasn't very fun. And if I could give myself advice, I would just say God is really there. And you may not know this side of heaven, what he was doing, but he is really at work and he cares how you walk through this. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah. So you arrived in different countries with younger kids and then as they grow up like just life your life stage changes and then eventually they are old and graduate and they go wherever they're going Uh, but how does that for you how did that change your ministry like as a pilot's wife in different life stages well I think there are like you're saying different life stages and when you're married and don't have kids if you're on the field at that point like you have so much opportunity to be involved in ministry and in hands-on ministry, whatever you can do for the flight program and involved with missionaries at a different level. And once you have kids, there are always those stages where you can't really leave your kids alone. And I think it's good to remember in those early stages that this is discipleship. Mm -hmm. Like we're trying to plant thriving churches. We're trying to make disciples and our children are primary opportunity to do that. And to remember that they are lives. They're not just my kid. They're people. And they're just not tag-alongs like, oh, we're going to the field, so you're just coming with us. You have no choice. Like, you're part of it. Yes, and they are part of your team and part of your opportunity Mm -hmm. on both sides. And as they grow up, that changes. Like you're saying, once they get into grade school, middle school, there's so much opportunity to have your kids involved in ministry with you. And I think that's super healthy that they can see what's going on and they can value it and they can understand that this is for the gospel and they can also be a part of it. And that helps them grow up into followers of Jesus that want to see thriving churches planted and disciples made of Jesus. And I think as moms, it's easy to feel like sometimes we're like stuck in our houses or we can't get out or we don't have enough ministry opportunities but I think if you're at home with your children, you have huge ministry opportunities. And sometimes you can pull other children into that that you can minister to. Sometimes you can take your children and do something. But there are always those times that you just feel a bit isolated. And to remember that this is important. You're raising people. Mm-hmm. I often said when my kids were little, like if somebody would come up to me and ask if they could follow me around all day so they could be just like me, like... What an honor that would be. Mm. And yet when it was my kids, sometimes it didn't really feel like an honor, but I needed to remember that it was and to realize that that was what God was giving me for that time or 
those hours or that stage. Mm -hmm. And were your boys excited to go with Gary on any of his flights or was that not allowed? Sometimes it was allowed. Um, The airplanes we use are not super large. So there's often weight, there are always weight limitations. They can't take unlimited amount of weight, but sometimes there was room and then one of the boys could go along and they always loved that. Mm -hmm. And they both have great stories of flying. They liked it. Kevin liked flying more than Caleb did, but um, yeah. And that was cool. Like they got to go out and see different places and experience that. What they did a ton of was um, helping take the airplane apart for inspections, refueling the airplane, weighing up loads, all that kind of stuff that happened at home. Mm-hmm. They, they were definitely a part of the team in that way. So I was just thinking, like, have you ever had an opportunity to like fly in a whole airplane load of Bibles or, or like something like that where, you know, the church plant is just you know, at, at the end and, and the people are, are waiting for God's word. Have you, have you had any flights like that? We have had some flights like that. I know that Gary has flown in Bibles at different times. One of the flights I really remember is in the Philippines, there was a church that was just getting started and they were doing their first baptism and some people had come from their home church and Gary took them in and then he got to be there. Like how amazing to realize Mm -hmm. These are the first believers from this people group that we know about in known history. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. And then actually just last year, we went to a ethnos gathering. And when we were there, we met some friends that we had known from Paraguay that we had sort of lost touch with. And they had just presented their Bible after so many years. And we were driving home and like, wow, like we didn't get to deliver it. But we were part of that. Part like, of it, yeah. We supported that team and we were we were privileged to be a part of seeing God's word in that language and seeing a thriving church planted there. If you're a woman listening and you're interested in being a pilot, what would you say to that? Well, I think that um, women can definitely have the skills to be a pilot, a mechanic. We have quite a number of women in our program at Moody Aviation right now. I think there are a number of things to think through. Um, in terms of your family and the best way to speed the gospel. And if God has given you a skill set and a passion for technical things, like ask him how he wants you to be involved in planting thriving churches and in seeing the gospel go forward. And yeah, drop me a line. I'd love to chat about it. I'm just so thankful for this conversation because I don't know, I, I feel like I've it's just given me a renewed appreciation for mission aviation, what pilots have to go through and, and just the support of, of the pilot's wife and families and just the excitement of seeing how, you know, the gospel, it's sped faster. I don't know how to say it, (laughs) like just how it's furthered um, the gospel. And it's just exciting to hear. And I just really, yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super thankful I had this opportunity to just share a little bit about mission aviation. There's so many parts of the body that God uses in planting thriving thriving churches and in seeing unreached people groups reached. And it's amazing that God allows us to be his co-laborers and he gives us opportunity to talk about it. Like, how cool is that? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We learned so much about missions aviation, and we hope you did too. You can learn even more about Ethnos 360 Aviation at ethnos360aviation.org. And you can check out our show notes for our amazing videos and resources about missions aviation. So thanks for listening.